All right, why don't you turn to Revelation chapter 2, please. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 through 29. The message is entitled, The Pagan Church, Thyatira, The Loveless Church, Ephesus, The Suffering Church, Smyrna, The Worldly Church, Pergamos, have allowed us to see the progressive deterioration of the church through time. The fourth is no different. In fact, the church of Thyatira is the worst of all four up to this point. Listen how John finishes his first epistle. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Thyatira is all about idols. 1 John 5.21. All about idols. The messages, as we've seen, are applicable for all times, not just merely for the days of the church existence that John was writing to. The seven messages to the seven churches, again, um, represent four things, as we said. A local church in John's day, a period of church history which we give to you, a type of congregation can exist from um, throughout the church age, and also a type of Christian in their own personal relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And also, there's uh, the pattern to these seven churches uh, of the letters that are consistent with only a few exceptions to the suffering church in the Church of Philadelphia. You have the proclamation, the commendation, the condemnation, the exhortation, and the application. Again, let me read the text here as we'll see how the words of Jesus make sense to the church he's speaking to. Verse 18 of chapter 2. He says, And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things say the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my service, to commit sexual immorality, and to eat things sacrificed to idol. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immoralities, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into the great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now, to you I say, and to the rest of the entire Tara, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put you in you no no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed in pieces like a potter's vessel. As I also have received from my father, I will give him the morning star. He who has a near, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As the other letters all have been written in a historical background, with mine, so that it's important for us to examine the historical background to see the relevance, the importance of the things that Jesus says specifically to each, each church. And here, um, the historical information about Thyatira is equally important as the others. The city of Thyatira was built on, by uh, Seleucus I to guard the mouth of the uh, long path between 
Hermus in Caiacus Valley, 40 miles east of Ephesus, around 301 to 281 B.C. Now, some attribute it to Alexander the Great after conquering Medo-Persia. According to legend, the city established a shrine to the sun god uh, Tyremus named uh, uh, Pelopia. And um, the worship of creation was big. Like today. Today, if you know, like remember Al Gore wrote about Mother Earth, okay, and the whole educational system. You know, let's save the planet. Let's save the earth. No, God said, let's save people. I'll take care of the earth. The biggest sham in the whole world, global warming. Amazing to me that they would take that as a prior priority over terrorism while Christians are being beheaded. My Lord, we've got brain damage. The city was a small, insignificant city lying on the highway that linked the two river valleys between Pergamos and Sardis. Today it's called Axir. And... Um, Thyatira was located 45 miles due east of Pergamos, the um, gateway to Pergamum, the capital of the province. The city was armed with a garrison um, manned by a company of Macedonians, uh, troops that protected Pergamum. Yet Thyatira herself was located on the valley and most vulnerable to any attack and would be unable to really make a prolonged um, defense for herself until uh, Pergamum would come to her defense. The importance of the city was in being a great commercial center with its trays, its potters, tanners, bronze works, and dyers, and it had an extensive trade guilds of unions and, and, and network for, for putting work and business together. Uh, and it played a prominent role in the social, economic, and religious life of the city. So it was very difficult for Christians who had come to Christ now. They didn't belong to these worship of these gods. They were associated with this guilt. So you were marked. You weren't given jobs. It cost them. And that's happened all throughout history. We're seeing kind of some of that today in America. If you're a school teacher and you're a Christian, you are a target. But you can teach that a rock is God and they'll praise you. Now, if you remember, the city was especially famous for its dying of purple. It could not be equal. Um, so her idolatry was materialism, much like today. Paul received a vision to go to Macedonia. Remember, he was directed to Philippi, where Lydia was there, the seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, in Acts 16.14. So... That's the city of Thyatira. Now, the church of Thyatira, again, once probably was probably the result of Paul's um, ministry at Ephesus. But again, we can't be certain, but uh, it certainly is the best guess. The suggestion by some is that the church was the work of Lydia and her family as she returned. But there's nothing in Scripture that would lead us to believe that or history. The churches um, are given in geographical location if you follow them in order. They began with Ephesus going north of Smyrna, then uh, southeast of Pergamos, Thyatira, and so on. Sort of like a little horseshoe-shaped semicircle. The period of church history that this church occupies is 600 to 1500 A.D., known as the Dark Ages. They weren't known as the Dark Ages because everybody was studying. <laughs> but it's due to the oppression of free thinking, the opposition to the Catholic Church until the Reformation. 
Rome crushed everything in its path who would expose, exalt itself against Rome. And I'm talking about the Roman Catholic Church. Thyatira means continual sacrifice, indicative of the continual bloodless sacrifice of the host that the priest offers. They call it bloodless sacrifice, saying that the literal body and blood of Christ becomes uh, incarnate there. It's called transubstantiation, indicating that the sacrifice of Christ is not done, but every time the host is offered by the priest, Christ dies. That's blasphemous. He died once and for all. He said it is finished at the cross. Now, this is the longest letter of all seven. There's also the religion of Thyatira, the temple of Artemis and Diana and Apollos were prominent. But as a religious city, it was really unimportant. The temple was, had a, a warlike figure armed with a battle axe uh, mounted on a charger. And coins have been found of the female deity with a battle crown. The city's guilds, again, had their own patron deities, their feasts their seasonal festivals, and they all included sexual revelry, just orgies and debauchery and everything else. This was the culture, much like today, that's in the world in America. Um, I'm amazed that in public schools, uh, children of fifth and sixth grade are having sex in the restrooms. And do we, do we think the teachers don't know that? Of course they do. But see, there's just no authority. There's no consequences. There's no attempt to educate children, simply just to socialize them and indoctrinate them. It's amazing to me. Thyatira is known as the pagan church and identifies um, having the full pagan and immoral teaching under the identification of Jezebel that we'll see in verse 20. So this is the historical information about Thyatira that gives us a better understanding how Jesus will now address himself to her. The proclamation begins here in verse 18. Notice the identity of the recipient of the letter again is Thyatira, the Angelon angel. First of all, uh, it, like all the others, it means the pastor, the one responsible, not an angel. The context indicates that. And it's to the church that those called out of darkness into light, those who have repented from their sins, a key word 115 times in the New Testament. And notice the identity of the writer again is Jesus Christ. Don't ever miss this. Every one of them. The words of Jesus are not the words of John. These things says, it goes back to chapter 1, verse 16. The chain of command is given there, God to the Son, the Son to his angels, angels to John, John to us. You get that in chapter 1 of Revelation, verse 1. In chapter 1, verse 3, again, the blessing is to the one who reads so you are able to read and understand the book of Revelation because you're a Christian. You don't have to be many years in the Lord or be a pastor. You're a Christian. You have the word of God, the spirit of God, the mind of God. Roll up your sleeves, pray, and do diligent study. The seven messages, again, are to be sent to all the churches in chapter 1, verse 11, as well as the whole book. And the division, again, we've... Repeated over and over again in chapter 119, given to us the threefold division of things that are. Chapter 1, the glorified Christ. Chapter 2 and 3, the things that are, the message to the churches. And the things hereafter, chapter 4, all the way down to 19. It breaks it all down. Now, the identity is once again fitting. Listen here. The Lord identifies himself as the Son of God. It goes back to chapter 1, uh, verse 13. Um, this points back to the glorified Christ, though the reference is... The Son of Man there. Okay? 
Son of man refers to the humanity of Jesus, while son of God refers to his deity, appearing 40 times in the New Testament. This is the only time the phrase appears in the book of Revelation. But it's implied throughout the book. The son of God was the one they should have been following, not the teachings of the woman Jezebel, this was their sin, as we'll see in verse 20. And we'll indicate again that religion is always portrayed by a woman. A woman's always religion opposed to Jesus Christ throughout Scripture. Now, the period of church history, its full development of the Roman Catholic Church, which minimizes the Son of God by the rival of Mary, the central figure of the Catholic Church is not Jesus, but it's Mary. And we'll point that out. Jesus is well known more than Mary than, uh, as, than Jesus, the Son of God. And if you think I'm smoking something, I was born in Mexico City. I was there till the age of seven. I came to the United States. I went to Our Lady of Loreto in L.A. Um, I was a Catholic, okay? My, my, my parents uh, were Catholics. My grandparents were Catholics, okay? So I know what I'm talking about. Um, our Lord identifies himself as the one having eyes like a flame of fire, notice the feet of fine brass. Revelation 114. That's what he identified himself. So all these things are taken from chapter 1. The eyes miss nothing. Notice that. The image could be an allusion to the worship of the sun god, as we said. Tyremnus and Apollos. They cannot see. They're blind. Idols have, have eyes, but they can't see. Jesus, the son of God, he sees everything. Nothing escapes him. His presence in the midst of the church in chapter 1, he sees everything. By the way, they're his churches. All these churches were legitimate. They were Christians. They moved away from Christ, okay? The warning is to believers, not to non-believers. Make sure you understand that. Brass is always symbolic of judgment unless it's otherwise declared in the context. Here's judgment. Notice the advantage of hindsight, 2020. The title Son of God is, in this particular period of church history, is most significant in view of the place Mary has been given in exalted and it's very progressive. Let me give you some of these edicts. In 431 AD, the worship of Mary was declared. 600, prayer directed to Mary. 1508, the Ave Maria approved. 1854, the Immaculate Conception of Mary. 1950, the Assumption of the Virgin Mary. 1965, she was proclaimed Mother of the Church. The following words of St. Bernard, their own theologian, sets up the Catholic position in this connection. I am quoting. Listen carefully. On that day, after Mary's death, when the apostles gathered around her tomb, they found it empty. The sacred body had been carried up to the uh, celestial paradise. The grave had no power over one who was immaculate. But it was not enough that Mary should be received into heaven. She was to be no ordinary citizen. She had a dignity beyond the reach even of the highest of the archangels. Mary was to be crowned queen of heaven by the eternal father. She was to have a throne at her son's right hand. Now, day by day, hour by hour, she is praying for us, obtaining graces for us, preserving us from danger, shielding us from temptation, showering down blessings upon us. Blasphemous. Where do you get that? Out of a Cracker Jack box? Do they still sell those? If you go on the internet, you will find a petition to deify Mary and make her a co-redemptress. 
Everything false or anti-biblical can be traced back to the mystery Babylonian religion of Nimrod and his Tower of Babel, uh, the worship of his wife Semiramis and their son Tammuz, back Genesis 6. Different names for Semiramis appear throughout history. In China, she is called Shinkmu. In Germany, Virgin Hertha. In Scandinavia, Dissa. In India, Indrani. In Babylon, Aphrodite. In Greece, Nana. She's all over. Whenever you see the Madonna and the, and the child worship, that's not Mary and baby Jesus. That's in Ramus and Tammuz back in Babylon. Okay? The scriptures reveal her worship. In the book of Judges, Astrith, Judges 2.13. In Jeremiah, called the Queen of Heaven, Jeremiah 44.17-19. through 19. In Ezekiel, women are weeping for Tammuz, her son, Ezekiel 8.14. Wow. You have the trinity of darkness that have counteracted all the stands for God. Nimrod attempted to take men away from God, a mighty hunter against the Lord in Genesis. Semiramis attempted to be the queen of heaven, supposedly by her miraculous impregnation by a sun ray, resulting in the birth of Tammuz after Nimrod's death. Tammuz, being worshipped as a counterfeit of Jesus Christ, supposedly resurrected after being killed by wild boars. And that's where you get the relationship between the 40 day of Lent, which is the 40 days of celebration for the resurrection of Tammuz. And is even celebrated with emblems of fertility. Ready? Eggs at Easter. Now, if you're a Catholic, you practice all this. I did. His love for his mother, Mary, was of the highest, as you know. We don't want to minimize this woman, but we don't make her redemptress. Jesus told John from the cross, your mother, to his mother, says, behold, your son. So thank God for Mary. In John 19, you find that from the cross, but she is not a co-redemptress. She is a sinner like anybody else. I'm going to give you the scripture for it. This was the proclamation of Thyatira. It makes sense, doesn't it? The words that he uses. Now, next comes the commendation. Verse 19. Yes, even this church has some commendation. Not everybody. Notice Jesus knew what they had done and were doing in the present. Verse 19. The word to know, again, oida, means uh, um, uh, intellectual knowledge, understanding, and perceiving completely. The works are those referred to which they were occupied in and undertaking, and they're commendable, as we'll see. Works are uh, uh, not the outcome of salvation. Um, I mean, the result of salvation afterwards, we do works because we're Christians, but works cannot be used to be saved as uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We're saved by grace through faith. James and Paul are not in contradiction. James is talking after we're saved. Paul is talking before we're saved. No contradiction at all. Now, notice this commendation. There was a time in this period of history when every hospital in Europe was either a convent or a monastery. And if you study history, you know that. So God doesn't overlook anything. Okay? There was a time this was commendable. Now remember in Matthew 25, 35 through 40, Jesus says to those in the tribulation, you visited me in prison, you gave me a cup of cold water. He's talking to those, that when you did it to the least of my brethren, the Jew, you did it unto me. The context is used for missions all the time. Wrong. 
It's for those who will be kind to the Jew during the great tribulation. God doesn't overlook nothing. Now notice, as one of the main characteristics of Thyatira's works, so it is the chief focus of the Roman Catholic Church to absolve anyone of sins or earn one's way to heaven in the form of penance, sacrifice, and, um, and vows even at Lent. All these things go on. But their works, notice, have been greater in the present than in the past. Uh, he says, the last are more than the first. How commendable this was at one time. There are things that people sat right where you sat. They, they've been used of God, done different things. Today, they're not walking with God at all. Okay, so if God is only commending you for the past, but not the present, you've got problems. Okay, the past is good, but if it's not going on in the present, your past is worthless. Okay, very important. Now, notice how easy it is to become complacent or indifferent with time. How easy it is to uh, have done things in the past and come to the place in the present where we are doing absolutely nothing for God or his name. And we say, well, you know, we've been here from the beginning and we did our part. Now it's your turn. What? You, you quit being used of God and doing the work of God when God kills you and takes you home. Not before. You can retire from a job. You can retire from the kingdom of God. Comfort, compromise, and prosperity will do this every time. If you and I do not stay accountable to the scripture and to each other, we'll go that way. Notice in 19 still, Jesus knew their love. The word for love is agape. It comes from God. He's talking to Christians. You can't say this to non-believers. Are we agreed? Thyatira was contrary to Ephesus. They had done things out of the right motive. Ephesus didn't. Agape love is the only thing God honors. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8. Faith, hope, and love. But love is the greatest. Believes all things, holds all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Agape love is to be the distinguishing mark of the church and the disciples. Jesus said in John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. Agape love is the greatest power in the world. When you yield to agape love, you're able to forgive personal sins, personal attacks. Only God's power can do that. Because you and I love vengeance. Maybe you don't, I do. The works are recognized only if they are done through God's agape love. Notice still in 19, Jesus knew their service. The word for service there is yakunia, to minister to one providing assistance. The root word, we get the word deacon. They're the ones that meet you in the parking lot and before you come to the, uh, the church. The word is translated often in the New Testament, ministry. Too often we are more concerned about uh, man knowing what we are doing than, than what God knows. And so we promote ourselves, we present ourselves as something greater than we are. God sees everything. What do you care what people think about you if you're a phony? You're the first one to know that it's not real. And if we just want attention, then that's contrary to being a Christian. People love to be acknowledged before people and to be honored. Um, people 
leave churches sometimes because they're not acknowledged uh, by the leadership, especially if they have some political position or some very high honorable education or something. Uh, we will never put your name on a, on a seat, on a parking stall, a door, or a toilet seat. Uh, we don't do that. Um, what you do, you do unto the Lord, and it's between you and the Lord, and we are so thankful for you and your obedience and what you do, but that's between you and God. Notice Jesus knew their faith also in verse 19. It means fidelity, loyalty, faithfulness. They had been steadfast in their loyalty to the doctrine of Jesus. This is the key of this church. Doctrine. Their faithfulness was evidence of their love for Jesus. If you look at the emergent church today, the seeker-friendly, they want to—they easily let go of doctrine for the sake of love. No, you hang on to doctrine. That says you really love Jesus. You let doctrine go, you love you. You love comfort. You're not standing for Jesus Christ. Now notice still, Jesus knew in 19 about their patience it means endure steadfastly. They had been quite resilient at the tests and the trials. The horrible inquisition of Rome uh, that started at Valladolid, Spain, against Christians who wouldn't bow to Rome um, for her dogmas and all. They burned them alive. They slaughtered them. The massacre of the Huguenots, the Anabaptists would be a good start for you to do some study. Right on Christians, many of them. But they wouldn't bow to Rome. And now we want to just sweep all the atrocities of Rome in the early 2000s over in Spain. And uh, in Valladolid, they were uh, uh, putting out all the instruments of torture of the Catholic Church as trophies. No shame, no nothing. Amazing. That was at the 500-year celebration of Christopher Columbus's birth. <laughs> Their faithfulness was the foundation of patience, notice, theirs, which resulted in their works increasing um, from the first ones. What a commendable thing. Now, this is to those who did not bow, not to the church. The commendation is to those who have not bowed within that church. The one who has eyes like a flame of fire, notice, representing penetrating vision, searching all things, knowing all things, including the motives of the heart. That goes back to chapter 1, verse 14. All things are open and naked. Uh, Hebrews 4, 12, to the Lord. All judgment will be placed at his feet. Brass, symbolic of righteous judgment, according to truth. Deeds without respect of person. No mistakes. Romans 2, Revelation 1, 15. Nobody will have to give information to Jesus on Judgment Day. So this was the commendation to Thyatira. Notice next comes the condemnation in verse 20 to 23. In verse 20, the church of Thyatira had embraced the woman Jezebel. This is the heart of this church. Mark it well. The woman Jezebel was an enemy of God. She is very relevant to their sin. Though the church has been commended, God says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. As you know, Jezebel tried to join the religion of the Syrophoenicians to Israel. Baal worship, 
a god of fertility in 1 Kings 16, 31-33. She was the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and she was married to King Ahab, and Elijah had rebuked Ahab and Jezebel, but they didn't pay attention. Elijah had gathered the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18 and challenged their gods and made fun of their gods. And there were two altars. And finally, Elijah said, hey, let me call on the God who's going to answer. And God, Jehovah responded, Yahweh. And he licked up the stone, the water, the sacrifice, everything. And he slaughtered all the prophets of Baal. When Jezebel heard about it, she swore that she would do the same to Elijah. And Elijah ran like a little girl. He stood up against every false prophet, everything, but this woman was bad news. And he went into the desert, fled down south, and he asked God to kill him, thinking he was the only faithful one in First Kings 19, and God rebuked him. I have 7,000, I bowed the knee to Baal. When you think you're the only one left faithful to God, slap yourself. There are others. Not many, but there are others always. She had Naboth killed for his vineyard, as you know, First King 21, and she plotted against him. She defiled the country by enticement with two things, whoredoms and witchcraft. They go together. The church of Thyatira had allowed Jezebel, I believe, a literal woman who called herself a prophet as one who spoke without error to teach and seduce God's servants to commit two sins. They allowed her. They gave her that place. Her name Jezebel is an oxymoron. It means chaste while being abominable. You know any mother and father are looking forward knowing they're going to have a little girl so they can name her Jezebel? How about Delilah? Even non-believers wouldn't name their children that. And if they did, they'd be very evil. One of the ways false religions are always identified in the scripture is a woman. Corrupt doctrine. Zechariah 5, 7 through 9. Matthew 13, 33. Revelation 17 and many other places. The word allowed, notice, means to let her be permitted. Her sin was tolerance and indifference. And the people followed that characteristic. You have much of that going on today in the church. The word seduce means to cause to roam from safety or truth, to wander from Christ, to be deceived. He's talking to his church that was right on at one time. Remember that the church has already married the world under Constantine in 313 to 600 under the church of Pergamos to commit sin, committed sexual sin and morality, to eat things sacrificed to idols, now in Thyatira, they had gills in their feasts, celebrations, eating meat, sacrifice to gods, making it impossible for Christians to be one or even to be marked so they couldn't work or even persecuted. Even as in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, Paul deals with the Corinthians about that. Notice their failure came in three ways. They failed to judge her by the scriptural standard of being one with the word of God. If you give up the word of God as your standard for everything, you might as well hang it up. You go the way of the world. 
You will become religious. You will become an enemy of God. They fail in accepting and tolerating her. Be it by being impressed or intimidated by her. They fail in stopping her knowing it was outright sin. And how many people see something just wrong, evil, and do nothing about it? Welcome to America. By their physical sexual morality, they join themselves to one with demons, the practice of Baal worship. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4, and chapter 10, verse 20 through 21. Paul deals about behind demons, idols, idols, demons. And by spiritual sexual morality, they were departing from the true and living God. Notice that. You remember Paul? Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 12. That he was not to allow a woman to usurp authority over a man by teaching as the pastor teacher over a church. Very, very clear. Now, people say, well, that's cultural and Paul was a chauvinist pig. Really? Wow. This is not cultural in nature as some would have us to believe or they tell us that it's out of date for our day. It's scriptural and it is historical. The reason given are two. The first being that the man was created first, not the woman. The second, that Eve was deceived, not Adam. Look it up. 1 Timothy 2.12 The first is based on God's created order of authority. Adam was created first, the head. And second is based on the emotional makeup of the woman who has a greater capacity to be deceived through her emotions more than a man. I said more. It doesn't mean that a man cannot be deceived or is not deceived. But a woman can and will be deceived more and more often because we are different. We think different. We look at things different. We think differently. And God has made a protection for the woman to be under a man, under the love and protection as Christ. Many of the cults, have been founded by women, spiritism, Christian science, and many others. Today's faith movement has high-profile women. They're called women prophetess, and they teach congregations with men over them. For every woman that stands behind a pulpit, you got a wimpy man somewhere who hasn't responded to the call of God. Simple. The church of Thyatira has scorned the opportunity for repentance. Notice in verse 21 then. The tense is, does not want to repent, yet it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, Romans 2.4 tells us. The period of church history again is 600 to 1500 AD, known as the Dark Ages. And they can be seen in the absence of Christ progressively in the church, mixing everything and anything and exalting this woman, Mary, the Queen of Heaven. Okay? The period was when the Roman church developed fully, obtaining her power, setting herself as the church of God, having full authority alone and approve and disapprove and condemn anyone that opposed her, and she was the only channels of salvation. She still teaches that. Catholic means universal, a direct contradiction to her claim. For she claims salvation can only come through her and by her. And anyone who trusts on their own the scriptures and Jesus Christ 
is not going to get to heaven. She teaches that. Absolutely. She taught and seduced by making herself a prophet as Jezebel. One without heir, the very same dogmas of the Church of Rome has established for herself. And she cannot err, she says. Yet doctrines are changed, altered, corrected by popes and contradicted by popes. There have even been two popes in place at one time. So how do you explain all that? They say that the Pope speaks ex cathedra when he sits upon his Pope chair. Really? Wow. Where do we get this? Nowhere in Scripture. Notice the word time. It means running chronological time. In other words, a long segment of time in church history. 600 to 1500. Man, that's a long time. 900 years. In which this time... She did not repent, and she has not repented. The greater the darkness, the greater the light will shine. But Thyatira was not the case. It was called the Dark Ages. God has sent countless men to reprove her, rebuke her, exhort her to repentance. John Knox, Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, and many of the reformers, but she would not repent. The dogmas of Rome are many. Let me give you a list of some more dogmas of Rome. This is from 600 to 1965, okay? 607, Boniface III made first pope, officially. 709, kissing the pope's feet. 786, worshiping of the images and relics. 850, use of holy water began. 995, canonization of dead saints. So that means you can pray to certain patron saints and they'll answer you in prayer. Blasphemous. Um, 998, fasting on Friday and during Lent. uh, 1079, celibacy of the priesthood, meaning before that they were married. 1090, prayer beats, the rosary. People wear them, people hang them on their mirror, people, they live for those things. Um, The Inquisition, 1184. 1190, sale of indulgences. And Tesla made those famous things because they wanted to get money to build a basilica. The men of the coin hits the bottom of the coffer. Your loved one is released from purgatory. Wow. 1215, transubstantiation. That's the literal body and blood of Christ being transformed in the host by the priest. 1220, adoration of the wafer or the host. 1229, Bible forbidden to laymen. No one could read it except for the priest. 1414, cup forbidden to the people at communion. 1439, doctrine of purgatory decreed in doctrine of seven sacraments affirmed. 1508, the Ave Maria approved. 1534, the Jesuit order founded. 1545, tradition granted equal authority with the Bible. That means anything the Catholic Church declares to be tradition or dogma, it's equal in authority to the Bible or be above it. 1546, apocryphal books put in the Bible. That's the 14 books between Malachi and Matthew that the Catholic Church accepts. No one accepts them. And if anybody's going to accept Old Testament books, it would be the Jew. The Jew established a Genesis to Malachi. Plus, she doesn't become the, the controller until 312, so she's a little bit behind the times. Incredible. 
1950, Assumption of the Virgin Mary. 1965, Mary Proclaimed Mother of the Church. I've got a whole two more pages of that if I can give you. The Church of Thyatira, notice, only had the judgment of God to look forward to in the future. Verse 22 and 23 tells us that. And 22, God will cast her into a sick bed with all who commit adultery with her in the great tribulation. Underline that. The number of kings, nations, rulers, and dictators that have been one with Rome is incredible. Hitler was one with Rome. The Pope sent all the Nazis out to Mexico, Central, South America. Gave them escape because Rome hates the Jew and was one with Hitler. Do some study in history, okay? The word for sickbed can mean a couch which sick men are carried on or for banqueting. The word is used for the sick man with the palsy. Remember in Matthew 9, 2, it was brought to Jesus. His disease often was due to sexual disease. What a connection. This couch, fornication, spiritual adultery, all tied together. Eight of the ten times the word appears in the New Testament is used for sickness. How fitting that they had allowed this whorish woman to seduce them spiritually. The allusion to their sexual ritual and the feast on the couch cannot be missed. Notice the reference to the great tribulation. It means different things. It means the judgment will be intense and severe for her corrupt oneness and directly from the hand of God. Second, the judgment is directly from God, not a coincidence. Thyatira will definitely be part of the church that's going to go through the tribulation, great tribulation, for she is adulterous, disloyal, and unfaithful. So this is the church that's going to go through the great tribulation. I hope you're not part of it. Look at 22 still. God will judge her unless they repent of their deeds. And we're going to see the church is not called to repent, only individuals. The church has given up. God's judgment came upon Jezebel, never repenting. She was an instigator regarding evil. She loved it, not only to do evil, but to corrupt others to do evil. She was cast down from the tower, as you know. Dogs ate her. Only her head, her hands, and her feet were found in Second Kings 9, 33 to 37. Her head, because her, head was, her mind was an enemy of God and evil. Her hands, because she did the work of the devil. And her feet, because she ran to every place that was evil. <laughs> Simple. God is going to judge this pagan church, the false religious system called Babylon the Great, mother of harlots, and all who are one with her. Revelation 17 and 18, commercial and religious Babylon. She will be the head, but also apostate Protestantism will be united in the ecumenical movement in the Great Tribulation. As we see today, the seeker-friendly churches of Rick Warren and many others, an emergent church, uniting only under ecumenicalism. Let's just love one another. Let's not make a big deal about doctrine. No, let's make a big deal about doctrine because God makes a big deal about doctrine. If your love is not one with the doctrine of God, your love is not of God. It's an offense to God. It's a stench to God's nose. The identity as head is hard miss. It's very hard to miss. Rome sits on the seven hills of Rome. Her address is given to us in the book of Revelation. The identity as head is there. 
John, Pope John the 23rd came on to popularity through his ecumenical council. His key words, they all shall be one. If you look at the new Pope, he's hitting it hard, embracing Muslims and anybody else and calling back the wayward children of Protestants who left in the Reformation back to the mother church. Does that mean that everyone in the Roman church is doomed? No. If they repent, they won't. But they'll come out from among her. Simple. Notice, God will kill her children with death. Verse 23, the first part. This is God speaking, not me. The children are those who have embraced her teaching, the second and third, fourth generation, whatever follows. The children are those who equally have gone on to propagate these spiritual adulterous doctrines and make disciples. God will allow all the churches to know that he is the one who searches the minds and the hearts there in verse 23. Once again, the reinforced idea of God's omniscience. He knows everything. He knows the mind, literally the kidneys. The moral center of a person's life, every thought, its very origin, Psalm 139.2 says he knows them from their origin. I don't know them until they get to my brain. He knows the hearts of men and women, who they really are in feelings, emotions, thoughts, desires, deeds, and motives. Being deceitful and desperately wicked, alluding to Jeremiah 17.9 and 10. The heart of man. Once again... The idea of his penetrating eyes of fire, that uh, nothing escapes him. Everything open and naked, as Hebrews 4.12 says. No one will have to give God any information when it comes to judging. He knows everything. No one will correct God in his judgment. I guess a minute, you made a mistake, Jesus, really. God will judge each person individually according to his or her works. He will judge her as a church. Verse 21. He will judge those who are one with her. In verse 22. He will judge each person as individuals. Responsible for their motives. Their deeds and their works. Verse 23. Now what is it that we don't understand? This was a condemnation. To Thyatira. Next comes the exhortation, verse 24 and 25. Notice in 24, the individual in the church is encouraged to be steadfast in their faithfulness to Jesus. He identifies them as those who have not this doctrine. Underline that. You want to make sure you don't have this doctrine in your life. He uses you, the rest, and as many as the one with hope. There is no call to repent to the church like the previous ones now. Only individual repentance. The only thing left for this church is judgment. He identifies them as those who have not known the depths of Satan. Verse 24. The depths of Satan refer to the teaching of the false prophetess. That which is not only contrary to God's word, but degrading and abominable. Chapter 2, verse 9. Chapter third, chapter 3, verse 9. And other places. Notice like the faith movement today. It teaches that we are little gods. 
having the power of, of, of faith through our mouth, what we say, positive instead of negative, life and death. They even teach that Jesus went down to hell to finish the atonement and make the payment of Satan. That's blasphemous. They're not my brothers. They're not my sisters if you believe that. The atonement was finished at the cross. It was paid to the Father. Blasphemous little gods. You see Captain America? When, when uh, he, the Hulk grabs Milky, whatever, he slaps him around, walks away, puny God. I love it. Great line. Look at 24. He indicates that he would put no other burden on them. The burden of these heretics was burden enough. Jesus' burden is light. He looks to the one that will repent, even in this type of church. The Lord enables who he calls. Notice the individual in the church is encouraged to protect what they have in Christ. Now, let me ask you a simple question. And I'm not that smart, but listen. If he's calling you to protect what you have, you have to be a believer, right? And if you have to protect that, that means you can be deceived, right? It's so simple. You don't have to know Greek. Just use what God gave you between two ears. The, burden, the word but there is a sharp contrast to the burden in the previous verse. To hold fast is no burden for Jesus enables the person again. Matthew twenty-eight thirty. Now, or, or eleven thirty. To hold fast means to not discard, but rather to retain and to keep carefully. Christ places no other burden than what his word commands us, and we should hold fast. Remember the book of Acts, chapter 15, the first church council, verse 28, 29. The Jews wanted to lay a burden, say you had to be circumcised to be saved. They sent letters out, you know, let them, let them know this, that they keep themselves from fornication, from strangled meats and from blood. And if they do this, they will do well. We lay no other burden upon them. Notice the exhortation is, is still... Um, until he comes for the individual at death so we're to hold fast for the individual that is coming whichever happens John says this behold I am coming quickly hold fast what you have and let no one take your crown Revelation 3 11 22 7 12 and 10 he's talking to the believer the unscriptural teaching of Rome it's very, very evident. The relationship between Jezebel, the woman, and Mary cannot be missed. Not that Mary is like Jezebel, but, but the Catholic Church has made Mary an idol. Mary, as intercessor, is one of their main things. Luke eleven twenty eight seven through 28, from the crowd, someone said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast who, gave you nur- who nursed you. And Jesus said, Blessed are those who hear the word and keep it. Jesus said, no, focus on God. We want to worship people. The Immaculate Conception, Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Listen to the words of Mary. She says, I'm a sinner. Luke 1.47. She says this, And my soul does magnify the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. is called the Magnificent. Mary believed that she was a sinner. By the way, Mary was there in the upper room 
waiting for the day of Pentecost. And they were all there praying to Jesus. Mary was not praying to Mary. And Mary spoke in tongues. The perpetual virginity of Mary. Matthew 1.25. Joseph knew Mary sexually after the birth of Jesus. We have the name of brothers and sisters. Of course, half brothers and half sisters. The selling of indulgences to pardon man's sins result in Luther's uh, 95 statements of, against um, Rome nailed at the Wittenberg uh, door. The cruel oppression towards loved ones that those in purgatory, if they pay their prayers uh, and, and, and through their prayers and they make indulgent payments, they could be released. Purgatory came about through Pope Gregory the Great, the place of purification of the soul before entrance to heaven, except, and it was accepted as a dogma in 1459 at the Council of Florence and confirmed the Council of Trent. There's no such thing. When you die, you go to heaven or you go to hell. March 1st, 1944, Archbishop of Winnipeg, Canada, guaranteed salvation for all the men in purgatory during World War II if their mothers would send them $40 for prayer. <laughs> Selling of mass, high mass, high dollars. Low mass, low dollars. When you have the carnivals in the Catholic Church, the one at the, at the, at the, drinking the most beer is the priest. I know what I'm talking about. The Pope is said to be the successor of Peter based on the confession of Jesus in Matthew 16, 18. Upon this rock I will build my church. That's a corruption of the text, completely out of context and completely out of the Greek language. It says nothing of the kind. Jesus is the rock. He will build his church on him. The Roman Catholic Church, by her very words and dogmas, declare the work of Christ not to be finished, but that she completes it every time she offers the host, having Christ die every time. Bloodless sacrifice, transubstantiation, blasphemous. Colossians says, For in him dwells the fullness of God had body, in him you're complete. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. It is finished at the cross. So this was the exhortation to Thyatira. What's left is the application. Look at 26 to 29. 26 to 28, the declaration is an invitation with promise of reward. Don't miss this. The one to receive the reward is the overcomer who keeps God's word until the end. In the first three, this came after the call to hear. It is qualified until the end. This is a timeless promise. It is the one who abides in Christ Jesus, the overcomer, John 15, 1 through 6, the, the, the branches and the fruit. It is the faith of the Christian that overcomes the world. In 1 John 5, 4 through 5, the person who will reward once again is who? Jesus, I. The end of 26 down to 28. The Lord will give to the individual two things. The first is power over the nations, is described in detail. They shall rule them with the rod of iron. They shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel, as I also have received from my Father. This is during the millennial kingdom, as we rule with him. The quote is from Psalm uh, 2, verse 8 and 9, describing Jesus' return to the earth to set up the kingdom. 
To rule means to feed, to tend the flock, to keep the sheep, to shepherd his people. Daniel 2, 34 and 35, 44 through 45. Matthew 19, 28, 1 Corinthians 6, 33. Feeding the flock of God. Know that they shall be dashed in pieces, broken. What an irony. This is what the Roman church has tried to achieve by force and by deceit to control and destroy people. But it will not happen. She will be destroyed also. She will rule nobody. Now the second notice is the morning star, verse 28. The references to um, Jesus Christ throughout the scriptures. Balaam gave the prophecy of the star of Jesus in Numbers 24, 17. Daniel 12, 3. 2 Peter 1, 19. Revelation 22, 16. The morning star. Jesus Christ, no one else. The overcomer's promise, the personal one is with Jesus being just like him. 1 John 3, 1 through 2, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us, even though it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, we shall be like him, we shall be exactly as he is. And everyone who has this hope, verse 3 says, will purify himself even as he is pure. Wow. Look at the beginning of 29. The declaration is an invitation for anyone There must be a willingness to listen as the individual. If you find yourself in such a church or such a condition of a Thyatiran, then you need to pay attention. He's going to call you to repent. There is a sense of responsibility and accountability to what you're hearing. There is culpability to every person who does not listen. Hearing is one thing. Listening leads to obedience. The way out is repentance. And so the words are, he who has an ear, favorite words of Jesus. Take heed how you hear, what you hear. Notice, still in 29, the declaration is an invitation to obey what the Spirit says to the churches. Hear, a cool, the faculty of hearing, not deaf. You're able to hear. The Holy Spirit is here to give you understanding. You're accountable, responsible. Literally let him accurately and effectively hear. The obedience is not limited to the message of the church of Theratara, but to all seven messages, as we have pointed out um, from the beginning. And the word churches, again, it's in the plural. The spirit is the speaker of the person of Jesus, the comforter, the one who brings glory, the one who represents him during the church age. So this was the application to Theratara. Psalm 115 tells us about those who worship idols. They become just like their gods. They have eyes they can't see. They have hands they can't handle. They have mouths they can't talk. They have feet they can't walk. And those who worship them become just like them. You become spiritually blind, deaf, and crippled. Remember, the church is not called to repent any longer at this point. God's given her up for judgment. Remember, there is a call only to the individual to repent. So if you find yourself in this type of worship in church, God wants you to repent. And remember, faithfulness does not depend on our environment, but on who is in us, Jesus Christ. The message to the church of Thyatira is to stop being pagan, tolerating false teaching, for the Lord will judge her in the future. Woe to all the pastors today in America who have had the high privilege to go to school, to read, to understand, 
And at one time they stood faithful to Jesus and they've gone the seeker-friendly and emergent way to water down the word of God, compromise and deceive people. I wouldn't want to be them for all the money in the world. Can't spend your money in hell. Not going to do you any good. The message speaks of a local church in John's day. The message speaks of a type of church or the period of history from 600 to 1500 AD, the dark ages. But the message also speaks of a type of church that can exist and will exist from Pentecost to the rapture. But for you individually, the most important here is it speaks of an individual, Christian, a Thyatiran throughout the church age. What's the solution? Repentance. God will receive you. Lord, thank you for your grace, your love. Thank you for your goodness. And Lord, we pray you deal with our hearts and we pray for those that are here and those listening over the internet. And Lord, you would just woo them to yourself. They would see their darkness, their deception and call on your name. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're over the internet. If you believe Jesus is God who became man, died for your sins and rose from the dead, and that he finished the atonement on the cross, you can call upon him and he will forgive you and save you. If that's your desire, it is by the work of the Spirit of God, grace through faith. This is your prayer of repentance. Right where you sit, you can say that to Jesus and he will save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.